Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 690th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who set an urban farming goal and then was determined to make it reality. We're talking to returning guest, Dr. Jolene Cutie, about creating a 10-year urban farming vision. Chiropractic physician and health educator, Dr. Jolene Cutie, built an idyllic, sustainable farm as a role model for her patients and family. Her home, an on-site chiropractic office, is surrounded by 800 square feet of raised bed organic vegetable gardens and over 30 trees from the Urban Farm Fruit Tree Program. They live, work, and play on a half acre in the city where their five children swing beside seedlings and are surrounded by fresh growing fruit. They eat farm to table, sharing recipes and inspiration with all who visit. Jolene, we got to meet with you in podcast episode 485 back in 2019, talking about abundant holistic harvest. And we truly enjoyed learning about how you were creating your thriving space back then. I'm excited to see how your vision can help others. So welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Greg. Oh my gosh. Well, so you recently sent me an email and it was a before and after picture from 2010 and and today. And so that got me inspired to want to talk to you again. So can you bring us up to speed on what's been happening since? Sure. So just to go to that email, I was inspired by another gardener who I saw had a kind of before and after of their property, which you can get from Maricopa County Recorder Office. And they're the overhead governmental shots. And oh, very good. It, it was so everybody can access that. And when we moved into our current property, we moved into much of a blank slate. And so it was so stark to see this huge block of blank light and then to have seen it filled by lush green from the fruit trees and from our gardens and from the progression of how things have grown over that time span. It's a wonderful thing. Oh my gosh. Yes. I was absolutely blown away. Well, I think the key is about planning and Mm -hmm. what's really, what really struck me the most was that in our original ideas, we thought 
what are we going to do here? And I wasn't sold on this property. My husband had me sit here hours and hours. And for anyone who knows us, we're very indecisive this way. So we actually sat here two full days mapping and planning and trying to envision how this property would be our home. And we sat in this yard, took pictures from every single angle, every corner, every little pocket of where we could look to put or what we would put in each place and how we would use it. Wow. Neither one of us had come from a place where we had had any land. And this property is about a half an acre. So when you're looking at a blank slate, it seems like quite a lot of space. <laughs> so the question became, what do you want to do with space? And I think this is really the question that everyone who has a property should answer is how do you want to use your space? So we wanted to eat. We wanted to have functional landscape. I don't actually consider myself much of a farmer. I think of myself more as an eco-landscaper. Like instead of just, everybody has landscape, but instead of just having something that I tend, we occasionally get some reward for our labors and get to eat from it. And so we planned out how we were going to utilize that space to create food for us and our families. Nice. We had this idea to work, live, and play in this space. So how do you do that? Eventually, we ended up moving my chiropractic practice here so that I could help people see health, where they could visualize different ways to incorporate how to utilize your space to make you healthier, working in the yard, seeing food that you're producing, being incentivized to then go out and eat all of these things, and the physical activity that's required to go out and check on what's growing, to go weed the garden, to go pick the fruit, and so on and so forth. We also wanted to live in that space. We wanted to be in that space. Mm -hmm. Before we had the yard, we never really felt compelled to be outside in our space. We're not naturally go-giddy, exercise type type people. And so the idea of having this need to go out and check on the chickens, to go oh, out yes. and fertilize the trees, to trim, to go harvest the apples. Not many people are like, yeah, it's 115 today. I think I'm going to go spend four hours outside. Right. But you're like, you know what? I'm going to get up early and I'm going to go harvest all those apples and we're going to go harvest all the carrots and we're going to cut off those leaves and we're going to make carrot top pesto. And that excites us. That makes us go out and do it. And we engage our children in that process. So we have six kids and they range from 14 to just five months And the kids come out and it makes the kids come out and draw Mm. from the yard and participate with us. And ultimately, that was our vision. We wanted to have a way to teach our children health in a very hands-on way where they would see where food came from. They would know that that food was fresh and be incentivized to eat it just from the fact that they had participated in the process. Yeah. And then lastly, we wanted to play. We wanted to have fun. So we built, you know, swings and play areas. And for many people, COVID was a very sad and depressing time, isolating and changed so much of the dynamic of Mm -hmm. how we 
use our our community and how we uh, live in our spaces. And for us who are busy doer people, we had a whole calendar of events like so many that were just canceled. And so we actually used that same design principle that we had had 10 years ago in our vision and said, what kind of super fun place can we can we play in? And so we had a plan before the pandemic to go to Disneyland uh-huh. and it had been canceled, obviously. And so we built our own mini Disney. We built oh, a place nice. set using the same design ideas, up, down, in, out, playing, and really started from scratch on paper, designing and then ordering and then building ourselves. And so we made this incredible play structure, one of a kind, multi-story, in, out towers. And so now we even have this other element of how we're using the space and you know, how many kids' playgrounds overlook this beautiful urban farm where they can Mm. experience the changing of the seasons and all the different growing, all the different aspects of growing in their own yard. So it's really fun. Wow. So you mentioned something, carrot top pesto. What is that? Well, a lot of people don't know that you can eat most of the greens in your gardens. Mm-hmm. One of my fellow gardeners was just saying how she took the outer cabbage leaves and tossed them in olive oil and some salt and pepper and a sprinkle of Parmesan and, and made chips out of those, which someone would typically discard. And you can also make pesto out of most of your greens or just eat them. You could roast the carrot tops with the carrots and eat those. But I prefer to hold the tip of the carrot top the the green and mm-hmm. then pull down on all the leaves so they come off the stem really easily mm-hmm. and I'll fill up a cuisinart all the way to the top with carrot top and then add in about a cup of walnuts three cloves of garlic and pulse that down and and blend that and then add in about a cup of olive oil and then I also use about a half a cup sometimes up to a cup of either starch water or the leftover water from beans. So if you Mm -hmm. like cook pasta and then you have water from the pasta or the leftovers from the beans, just as a thickening agent. And if I don't have that, I just use water. Mm -hmm. You can very easily make a vegan version with nutritional yeast or just not putting in the cheese. And then you just add a fluid like water or some broth to get it to the consistency that you want. And we'll eat that often over white beans with some onions Uh or over some whole wheat noodles. It's a great way to utilize the whole plant. We try to use everything that we grow. We fail, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how we learn, right? But it all stays here. So it becomes either mulch or becomes chicken food or whatnot. But we try to use it all up. Nice. One one of the things I noticed about you, you're pretty active on Facebook and you'll actually at harvest season, you'll go out and you'll count how many apricots you harvest and you are harvesting a lot of food from your property, aren't you? Yes. We have had the fortune of very abundant harvests and just like a marathoner gets to record their time and get a little award, you need something to give a little like or a little hoorah rah for all of your achievements. So it's fun to see what our 
yard is producing. We are about to harvest apples. We'll have about 1100 this year off of our two trees and Anna and a golden Dorset. And we just added a few young trees. We have a a second new Anna and a sundowner, which is kind of an experiment for us. And then it's always good to just have a little bit of older trees and a couple bit of younger trees. But uh, they say the best time to plant a tree was like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. (laughs) Or today. So I think about when we made our, our original plan from that blank slate, we really did lay out where we were going to put water, where we were going to put valves, how we were going to trench it, Mm -hmm. how we were going to make big mulch berms, where we were going to get our chip drop mulch or or leftover mulch from other area properties, where we were going to put our beds, where we were going to put our play areas. And by having that vision, that's really what led us to success. A lot of people I know are like, I want to plant a tree. I'm like, well, where's your water? Oh, well, we'll do that after the fact. (laughs) And um, it's hard to do that because you've got to go through roots and everything else. Because of how we laid it out and because we made really good maps of what we were doing, we've been able to add extra waterers where we thought there was no room for a tree, but there's always room for another tree. So we keep adding more trees. Right. (laughs) And we thought it would be sufficient, for example, to have six trees in this area, but now we need, you know, 12 or 15 trees in that area. But the layout of what we designed is true to our original vision. Nice. Give me a little bit more information about 10, 12 years ago and the blank property and what it looked like and what it looks like now, if somebody was walking on your property. So when we came to the property, we had a pool and we had a pineapple palm. And two pine trees and a little row of oleanders and two desert shades and two Mexican bird of paradise. And that was it. And then we had this totally blank landscape. And those trees were mostly in the perimeter, except for the pineapple palm, which was right behind kind of the main exit of the back area. So we built our patio around that beautiful pineapple palm and let it really umbrella into its full shape. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because everybody trims their palms, most of them into what's called the pineapple shape. So it looks up, the spikes point up. And I recently heard from an arborist that the energy of the tree, the nutrition for that tree is really in the full umbrella of its leaves. And the umbrella is really what protects the trees. And I'd always had a hard time with when we trimmed it, there was inevitably always some nest that had been hiding that we didn't Mm. know about or Mm -hmm. whatnot. And I think a lot of the reason that people trim them that way is that then you can get at all the fruit cut pieces and avoid some of the mess of the pineapple palm seeds. But we loved this pineapple palm. So we let it grow into its full umbrella. And sure enough, we have all the birds, but then we have this beautiful aviary of pineapple palm umbrella with shade and our resident squirrel comes and eats all the nuts and whatnot. So that's how we decided our patio area. And then around the periphery, we created at least four inch berms deep of 10 by 10 areas that were fully mulched to develop this raw, dry, arid, essentially dead soil Mm -hmm. that had never been watered by irrigation and made it into very, very few, very fertile, very malleable terrain. Mm -hmm. And we built into those spaces trenched 
water lines with umbrella sprinklers to flood the berms. Mm -hmm. And then we planted fruit trees in all of those areas. Some of our fruit trees that we have now included Santa Rosa plum, black beauty plum, desert gold peach. We had Katie apricots, navel orange, caracara red, wonderful pomegranate, dwarf black mulberry. I think those are all of the, and we had another peach as well, mid pride peach mm-hmm. and a tropic snow peach. And that was kind of like the original. And then we laid out in the center of that periphery, 800 square feet in 12 linear four foot wide raised bed CMU block gardens. I call those my Lego, Lego gardens. So you go and you buy CMU block and you ding, 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 link them all together. We had, my husband was a little neurotic about the time. I would not recommend this at all, but my husband wanted the berms to be flat with the ground. So we actually dug out four inches of topsoil over 2,200 square feet. (laughs) (laughs) which gave us about 16 tons, 16 yards of topsoil, natural mm-hmm. dirt. And then we ordered a truckload of organic compost and then blended those together. And then we got some local horse manure that had not been aged and some raw chips and used those as the basis of the bottom of the beds. Oh, very and good. And then we layered the top layer. Our, our beds are two CMU blocks thick, so they're 16 inches tall. And we filled those with the amended soil and then planted in those. And so we have this sort of orchard, if you will, around the out and then vegetable gardens throughout. A lot of people put all their vegetable gardens or all their trees kind of in one corner and leave their yard open. But what we did is we built our yard as the decor, as you will, of the yard. So we created pathways. So when you walk in, you can go down this way and then look at a piece of outdoor recycled, upcycled art and walk through this part of the orchard. And then at one point you can walk through this part and be really in this tree-lined area and then walk through each of the garden beds. And so my kids do laps around the yard, running through the beds and running through, they're not allowed to run through the berms because of the water lines, but running through the area where the trees are. Mm -hmm. So it's not separate. It's actually integral to how the yard is structured. And this was, again, part of our 10-year plan that we had designed out. Me, chicken scratching on paper, and my husband, who's an architect, putting into CAD and, and drawing it out which you don't have to do, but that was just our nerdy was, way of preparing. Yeah, that was your game. Good. Yeah. Cool. And one of the really awesome things, I saw a picture on your Facebook page, oh, sometime in the past couple of years of your chiropractic office and how it overlooks your gardens. And there's a reason for that. Can you tell us about that and the impact that it may have had? Yeah, I had a traditional practice in a medical plaza. And I was basically teaching out of a concrete box. Mm. And I was telling my patients that they needed to drink water, that they needed to improve their nutrition, that they needed to move more, that they need to focus on their emotional health. And then I stared at this concrete wall. As our urban farm developed, I was inspired by what I was seeing out the window. And so at some point I had to renew my lease for 
I had been at this space for nine years and I had to renew my, my lease again. And I said, oh my goodness, you know, somebody actually said to me, what if you had your practice at your urban farm space? And I thought, oh, that's a crazy idea. I would never <laughs> do that. And um, my mom always poo-poo's all my ideas that, you know, my mom's very quick to say, no, that's a terrible idea. And I said, mom, somebody's told me this crazy idea like this. I should move my chiropractic practice to our urban farm. And my mother says, oh, that's a fantastic idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was floored, stopped in place. And from that confirmation from up high, this plan developed to move my chiropractic place here. And so I practice in a room with 18 feet of windows overlooking organic raised beds, vegetables and chickens and oh children's play areas and a full orchard. And so my goal is that not all my patients are going to go home and plant a farm, but rather do you see these beautiful artichokes blooming? Did you mm-hmm. know that the artichoke is a flower? It comes from the ground. This is its plant. And mm-hmm. people are shocked. They've never seen where their food comes from. They, they've never seen an artichoke flower. They didn't know that you could wrap your trees with tool. They didn't know about eating things. You know, I've, some things are hard to market. For example, fennel pollen. And I'll say, oh, fennel's in bloom. I have all this beautiful fennel pollen. Have you ever had fennel pollen? Which is a wonderful delicacy to add a little flavor in your food. Wow. And again, it's not something that you can really buy at the grocery store. Right. And so very often, if I have a quick minute, I'll take my patients outside and say, here, try this, try this. Have you ever had wild <laughs> nice. sorrel? Have you ever had edible purslane, which is a local weed? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had lamb's quarter? This is another local weed that we eat. This is dandelion. This is, I'm growing calendula. Um, let me rub it on your skin and show you, you know, how this medicinal salve works. And you see people's eyes widen. Mm. And my hope is that they go and think, you know, I never cooked with raw garlic. Maybe I can, I feel inspired to try to, to use these ingredients that maybe weren't part of my upbringing or aren't part of my usual repertoire. And of course, when we eat food that comes closer to the source, we're going to get a higher nutritive value. So I also encourage people to start a pot, start a grow bag, build a little four by four garden, plant a couple fruit trees in your yard. And that process where they're engaged in coming outside and seeing the process and understanding the difference between growing something organically and getting a commercially processed food becomes tangible to them. They see it, they smell it, they feel it. They come to understand the ecosystem better, which makes them better protectors of the environment and so on and so forth. The cycle of our health and nutrition starts to repair one person at a time from their own yards. You know, Greg, do you know about Victory Gardens? Oh, yes. You know, after World War II, we had low supply and Mm -hmm. the government encouraged people to grow their own food. 
And what a revolutionary idea at the time, right? Where he'd come from commercial agriculture, food was being used in the industrial war complex. And at that time, 50% of America grew food in their backyard. I know that's your ultimate vision, Greg, is to bring back that kind of farm to table style. And I too often tell people that I'm really like a chiropractic anthropologist. (laughs) I I try to draw from what seems natural, not even from the last decades, but really going back millions of years, you know, how do we protect ourselves? How do we improve our health? And I think that we need to rediscover being more functional in our spaces. Yeah. Wow. And making that connection for the people that you serve is so important. For 20 years, when I lived at the urban farm, I did that. I'd bring people in on tours and made that connection. And there's magic that happens in that moment. There is really, truly magic that happens in that moment. You, I just recently had two Boy Scout troops through. Oh, nice. I had my older son and my younger son, they're nine and six, their respective Boy Scout dens came through and I showed them about composting. We, we took, we talked about how the chickens were molting and their feathers were becoming dirt and their poo had the enzymes and the moisture to develop the refuse from the yard and turn it back into dirt. And we, we held soil and I showed them this dirt and I asked them, you know, what is this? And they said, oh, that's just dirt. I said, no, this is alive. This is a whole Dr. Seuss ecosystem right here. (laughs) And I would show them where the rock was and my traditional DG and, and three quarter minus rock is. And I'd say, you know, what is this, you know? And they're like dirt. And I was like, but look at this dirt. Let's look at this. And we dug a hole in the ground, you know, and you could see this sort of, sort of deadish dirt. And then I showed them under the mulch and I showed them in the bottom of the chicken coop floor. And I showed them the dynamic, in the soil of the the worms growing and the bugs crawling around and the ants digging tunnels for air and water. And I said, what is this? And they're all like alive. And then I show them this and I'm like, what is this? And they're like alive. And, you know, you take a group of nine, nine nine-year-olds, bunch of fidgety runaround kind of kids, and I've got them all munching on green onion tops and fennel fronds and wild dandelion greens. And most of their parents or the den leaders were in shock. How did you get these (laughs) boys? What what secret magic fairy dust did you sprinkle on them to get these boys to eat, you know, raw basil leaves and things Mm -hmm. that they traditionally were not in their chicken McNugget diet. So I think the only difference is that it's there. The University of Berkeley about 20 years ago started their gardening program out in the school communities. Mm. And I remember very distinctly a quote from one of the mothers. She says, I had to call the school and say, what's a jicama? And it's <laughs> the, the exposure is really what brings us to health. And yeah. um, I think that it's really important that we continue to provide opportunities through community gardening, through community gardening education, through backyard tours through the tour de coupes, through these kinds of educational podcasts for how people can find out more about how to get back to their roots from millions of years ago about where food comes from and where our health comes from and how to engage with it dynamically. Yeah. Amen to that. And this lights you up. I can see it in your face. So we're actually recording this on video 
we'll just be using the audio, but I can see your face and you are lit up about this. Tell me about that. I grew up eating cheese-infused Oscar Mayer Wiener hot dogs and <laughs> drinking two-liter bottles of soda and a gallon of milk a day. So I come from the city. I really didn't know much about where anything grew. I have spent hours trying to recall how many vegetables I have had in my youth, and I think it's mm. a grand total of three, mm. and never fresh from a farm. And so for me, health was really an evolution with my nutrition. I'd seen a lot of people around me suffer from health ailments that were really crippling to them. And it really led me to ask, what was the difference? How do you do differently than you know? And for a lot of people, that's a really hard question. They feel like they don't know how to cook. They feel like gardening or planting a tree is really outside their wheelhouse. I remember being a very young girl and having recess on the playground. Mm -hmm. And there was a girl in my grade that liked to dig and find bugs. And I thought she was disgusting. And I remember thinking that I would never in a million years <laughs> dig in the dirt and find a bug. And now I have a mealworm farm and I tend, care for, and love some 300,000 mealworms wow. <laughs> that I every day interact yeah. with beetles and, and mealworms. So for me, that process was very slow over decades. And my hope in educating people is to fast forward that track so people can feel like the barriers aren't there. And I'm so thankful for the opportunities by the internet, by podcasts, by Facebook groups mm -hmm. to fast forward that for people. You know, it's not an encyclopedia on the wall anymore with one photo. We can go on Facebook and post what we're growing, what's working, what's not working. What is this bug? Friend or foe, the favorite game of Facebook gardening groups. And there's so many resources that are right at our fingertips to be able to find out this information so that you too can become an expert gardener. Wow. Well, thank you so much for all the work you do and your passion around it. It's uh, apparent and I love it. I think that the passion comes also from the sharing of it, oh, yes. that we're very fortunate to have a huge community in our town and in almost every town. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, you know, who doesn't suck? People who try to grow plants from seeds. People who try to grow plants from seeds are good people. <laughs> right. And as a result, I think it's really important. And I think it really adds to people's lives to mm -hmm. engage with other people who grow. And there are um, digital ways to do that through Facebook groups that are local, like Phoenix gardening or mm -hmm. organic backyard farmers of Maricopa County or Arizona backyard chickens. And then there's also little pockets. So I started a little free plant stand, which oh, nice. there's now over a hundred in Arizona. So people can just come to the front of the property and drop off a plant, leaf a plant, take a plant, or just share seeds 
I grew sorrel, which was wild from my yard and it mm -hmm. went to seed and I grew an entire brown paper bag worth of sorrel seed. Um, I know that's wow. another passion of yours, Greg. Oh, yes. Saving. And so I grew a lifetime supply of sorrel seed. And so it's been wonderful to share it with many people who are interested in growing. And I think that everybody should find a little group. I also joined a smaller group and we get together once a month oh, and good. in person mm -hmm. and everybody just comes to admire one person's property. So we, we play mm -hmm. musical houses. Oh, nice. And each month we go to someone different's place. And sometimes we bring food and have a little social time. And usually people will bring something that's growing in the yard, either for bragging rights or because they grew three of them and they only need one of them mm -hmm. or to share so that people can continue to propagate in case theirs dies, they have a backup through someone else. And this kind of sharing, I think, brings people together in a way that improves our mental health. I know another passion of yours to engage with one another, mm -hmm. to find that community that helps us feel connected both to our land, but also to each other. And if we don't have that, we're as dead as the soil under the rock, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that I love that you've done is you've gone from a very micro perspective of your right outside your back door to sharing with clients to free plant stands to community so you've expanded this to a community level and i often say this is that you know stuff happens i don't usually use that word i usually use a different <laughs> word but stuff happens because somebody says so and you Absolutely. said so you said Absolutely. so Absolutely and there's nothing special about me in that way right yes i think that you know one of the advantages of the plant stands also is that even if you grow one thing, you grew multiplier onions and it was successful, mm -hmm. you can bring your extras to a local plant stand and share just the one little thing that you had success with, with someone else. Yeah. And that's true with Facebook. You know, some people post their quarter size tomato and say, look, I did it. I grew this one quarter size tomato and 200 people say, good job, keep going, yeah. you know? And so you get this scalable idea that if you just had one pot and you grew one tomato plant and it worked, you could eventually grow a half acre of edible landscaping. You could plant that fruit tree and end up with 900 peaches that you turn into peach compote over pork that you turn into peach salad with roasted almonds that you turn into peach jelly that you share with your friends. And so you're in, or the, or that first peach that your little neighbor mm. kid ever ate off a tree mm -hmm. and got juice all over them. You know, these kinds of very, very fundamental experiences into how we engage with nutrition and our health and taste and smell and community and the bonding, you know, kids come back to my, to me even years later. And I, and I treat kids also. And they say, I remember one time I came to your house and I ate an apricot off the tree and it's, it's really special. I, I try to have all the kids that come take a picture holding a chicken because I mm -hmm. sure as heck never held a chicken when right? I was a kid. Yeah. 
And so, you know, how great to be able to eat eggs from your backyard pets who you love and tend to, and to be able to connect and think about what our grandparents did. And one memory that I remember so vividly was my grandmother in her yard growing tomatoes and they were surrounded by marigolds. And I remember these beautiful plants surrounded by her marigolds. Now you want to know the total sin of it, Greg? Tell me. I didn't eat tomatoes as a child. Oh my gosh. And I remember these huge beefsteak tomatoes ripening on my grandmother's front window. And I don't remember ever eating them. (laughs) What I would kill to eat one of my grandma's tomatoes now. But it's funny how that image was left with me of my grandmother's marigolds. And I always plant marigolds every year in honor of that memory and have a special place in my heart for those marigolds next to tomatoes. Amen. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners today? Find a community. There seems sometimes to be a barrier in starting, but if you find a community, people will share, people will give you starts. If you tried five plants and they all died, they'll give you five more. They'll Mm -hmm. allow you to come together and give you the motivation to try something that seems a little outside of your realm of possibility. And soon enough, you'll become the person that said that you'd never thought you'd dig in the dirt to the person who's always got a little dirt under the fingernails and finding out about how the cycle of life really works. Nice. And did you name your farm? No, I didn't. I tried a whole bunch of different names. Mm -hmm. And in the end, we just call it the backyard. And I think actually that's the most appropriate term because it's so reachable in the sense that everybody has a yard and I want everybody to feel like their yard is a place where they can always experiment. I don't consider myself a farmer. I, I, I always tell everyone if it works, I take full credit. And if it doesn't work, I take no responsibility. (laughs) You have to allow yourself the opportunity to just try it. And if it's a great success, what a miracle. And if it doesn't work at all, try again. Yeah. Well, that's how we learn. That's how we learn. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Jolene. Thank you for having me, Greg. And I hope everybody learned something. If you have any questions or you want to get a hold of me, I'm happy to answer any of your questions. You can email me at jolenecutie at yahoo.com. That's J-O-L- E-N-E-K-U-T-Y at yahoo.com. Or you can call me at QD Chiropractic at 480-945-7800. I'm happy to field your calls and answer little questions or arrange a tour if there's enough interest. Um, I'd be happy to show you guys what we've got growing every month of the year. Awesome. And you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash the backyard. And I'd love to also just give a shout out and say, thank you, Greg, for all your mentorship over the years and taking my calls to say, Greg, Greg, what do I do? What do I do? (laughs) You are the OG of community and gardening. And uh, that's why I want to come back and help you out and help everybody else to know that 
really there are lots of resources, but I appreciate that you were one of the people that I could ask the questions to in the start of it all. Thank you. Well, like you said earlier, it's all about sharing it. It's all about sharing it. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.